DW, World in Progress. Welcome to the show. I'm Kathleen Schuster. Coming up, how artists in China are trying to get their message past state censorship. If we lived in a place that was free, we would be even more out of control. There are a lot of kids and teens who are only 11 or 12 and like our music. What we want to give them is hope and faith in this world. And how the COVID pandemic has brought out a new side of Zimbabwe's art scene. For us, it's a reimagination of our future, a reimagination of our contemporary life, and also going back to traditional knowledge systems. You're listening to World in Progress. I'm your host, Kathleen Schuster. On this week's show, we're looking at how art can transcend hardship. We begin in China, where artists say censorship under Chinese leader Xi Jinping has gotten stricter. The authorities keep close tabs on exhibits, sometimes ordering works of art to be removed. Even music online can have a way of disappearing if it has the quote-unquote wrong message. Nevertheless, musicians, painters, and other artists are finding ways to get their message out there, even if it means going underground, quite literally sometimes. Reporter Eva Lambi-Schmidt has more. Her feature is presented by Inaka Mules. This is the place for punk, in the basement of a typical Chinese department store in Shanghai. It's not easy to find. First, you need to move past the tiny red plastic chairs on the ground floor of the restaurant above. Then it's down the stairs and there it is, somewhat hidden from view, the rock bar with space for over a hundred people. The two lead singers of the punk band Mama Hugu are on stage. Their hair flies wildly to the beat as they play their electric and bass guitars. As punk rockers, Maya and Sero are considered pretty alternative in China, which doesn't have many punk bands, especially not ones with women. Their role models tend to be from other countries. Hello everyone, we are Mama Hu Hu. Our deepest purpose is a rebellious heart, but we express it in a positive way. We make music to show our attitude. They're not allowed to be truly rebellious and nonconformist in China. They can't say things like shut up at their concerts, for example and they have to register their set list and lyrics ahead of time. They have to be approved, just like with every other concert in China. If they sing anything different on stage, they could get into trouble. Bands have to comply to be able to perform at all. That's how censorship works here in China. There are a few things you can't say. For example, we don't just belt things out. We aren't straightforward with our word choice, or we don't use expletives. We're more subtle, but our power is still there all the same. For example, there are realities we consider to be very bad, but we use our songs to express our opinion, even if it's only implied. 
During the COVID lockdown in 2022, when Shanghai, a city of 25 million, was closed off and people were restricted from leaving their homes, the two women and their band wrote two songs straight away. One of them was called Butterfly. The butterflies are supposed to express the fact that we aren't afraid anymore and we're breaking out of our cocoons and flying away. We did our best to say what we wanted, even if the lyrics are rather vague. I hope everyone can hear our screams. I'm certain that people understand them and, of course, we see this when we're standing before our public on stage. The person who's made this evening possible is a man named Zhang Haishan. For nearly 20 years, Zhang Haishan has been running two music bars in Shanghai. He calls them Yu Yintang, which means nurture music. On the wall, there are numerous stickers from the bands that have performed here. The lights and the AC are already dusty and reflect the venue's somewhat rundown flair. In the 90s and the 2000s, there were a lot of punk bands. In Beijing, Shanghai, Nanjing, they all had well-known punk bands. But now, there aren't as many. Today, there's more pop punk. It's not as direct as old school punk. He says censorship in China has gotten stricter, which is why he thinks there aren't as many punk bands, rock bands and radical lyrics. The bands probably want to survive. You have no choice here. If you want to have an official gig, you need the permission of the regional and municipal cultural authorities. And if your lyrics are too rebellious, then you're the first who will be denied a permit by the government. This is a song that's been banned in China, but it's a song that made musician Zhou Yunpun famous. Zhou Yunpun has a million followers on the Chinese social media platform Weibo. He was allowed to perform the song Huanggo Haizi for years, that is, until it was banned in 2017. He sings Don't Be a Child of China and then recounts a number of abuses in different cities and regions. Zhou Yunpun doesn't perform that song anymore, and it's not online anymore either. He doesn't even have a copy of his own song. More than anything, I wrote about the suffering of kids. For example, children who can't see. He himself lost his sight as a nine-year-old boy. Zhou Yunpun lives together with his guide dog in southwest China, in the region of Yunnan. We're speaking over the phone. We call him at a specific time. He only has to push one button. That's the easiest way for him. 
He has a big interest in talking about how the visually impaired find their way in Chinese society. How does someone who can't see find a public bathroom? If the bathrooms emitted a sound on their own, then blind people could find them. Practical, right? It's ideas like these that crop up in his music. In China, roughly 85 million people have a disability. More than 17 million of them are visually impaired. You don't see them out in public much, even though in many Chinese cities there's a marking system on the sidewalks to help guide them. One problem, for example, is that many sidewalks are blocked by bicycles and e-scooters parked there. That's just one grievance Zhou Yunpun sings about. But he sings about natural catastrophes like earthquakes, tsunamis, and rare diseases too. In contrast to China's state-controlled media, which in many cases reports only sparingly about natural catastrophes in their own country. People in China like to hear good news and not bad news. The question of who doesn't want to hear it, the people or the authorities, is one that Zhou Yunpun leaves open-ended. He chooses his words carefully and stays rather vague. But one thing is clear. People in China liked his song Yongzhou Haizi, which is banned today. One person who tests the boundaries of China's policies in public is Hui Kun. He challenges society and the police, and his topics are explicitly political. For example, he rides his skateboard outside, lying on it face down. A banner-turned cape that's sprayed with red graffiti flutters in the wind. Another time, he wears a dress made from blue garbage bags. Hui Kun presents all of this as performance art on the street, in the subway, or on an escalator. Nearly every day, he thinks of something new and intentionally provokes reactions in public. I considered how to make this performance art more straightforward and how to express what I wanted to say faster. If I did that in other countries, it would be normal. But in China, the people's reactions and the reaction of the police make me reflect on which societal problems we have here. I make performance art because I want to understand the kind of environment I live in. Especially during the pandemic, performance art gave Hui Kun the opportunity to critique the strict measures, like closing off entire cities where millions of people lived. One example of this was when he hung up a banner with the words "Never forget why you started doing something." The surveillance camera found me. The security guards told me I wasn't allowed to say that. And they actually told me that regular citizens weren't qualified to use these words. It was a sentence that only the communist state and party leaders could use. This banner was everywhere in public. Now I know that regular citizens like us can't hang up banners. It's against the law. If you buy a T-shirt and print that sentence on it, the police will come and question you about it. Until now, there were no other consequences for his art other than verbal disputes with the authorities. But he can't depend on justice in China. In recent years, artists have been arrested again and again. 
Some have left China, like Ai Weiwei, who was locked up for 81 days in 2011 and then left, going first to Berlin, where he lived for a while, and then England and currently Portugal. Shanghai, with its nearly 25 million inhabitants, is considered one of the most modern metropolises in China. The culture scene is flourishing, with its many museums and galleries, especially along the Huangpu River, with its view of the skyline in the artist quarter, and in the form of French concession. The city, with its international flair, is a leader in contemporary art and culture. There are quite a few events, exhibitions, and conventions that Shanghai uses to advertise itself. Perhaps it's because of the sheer amount of cultural offerings that censorship isn't noticeable here at first, even if the art itself isn't political. An underground futuristic tunnel of mirrors leads to a basement that used to be a place to store bikes. Today, it's home to a small art gallery. The space is brightly lit, the pale mint green walls gleaming. Curator Zhuang Lin renovated the space. For the past seven years, she's been showing new works of art from various artists every few weeks. Right now, the gallery is featuring nature photographs and abstract paintings. I don't think art needs to be political, or that an artist is only good if they make art out of politics. There is no such criteria for art. It's just that the outer environment is becoming stricter. Sometimes even I am forced to censorship in a way. For two years, Zhuang Lin has been getting regular visits from the so-called culture police, the department responsible for checking exhibitions. The police arrive unannounced, take a look around, and tell them what they can and can't show. One of the pictures that couldn't go up now hangs in the curator's office. It's an abstract painting with a grey background and abstract sketches in a variety of pale colours. Even though there's no bright red to be seen, the police deemed it too bloody and violent. To the curator, this is incomprehensible. The police interpret what they see in a very one-sided way. It's a subjective distortion, but we have to accept that. That's the process one goes through. The police think they're more professional than I am. You're in China, so you have to accept this, okay? Or the gallery will be shut down. One of China's most famous modern artists is Zhu Zhen. His work has been shown worldwide. He's also a curator, and says he's seen entire exhibitions shut down in China. I know things like that are not going to happen in Berlin and England. But he still makes a conscious decision to continue making and promoting art in China. He started a business to create a platform for artists and for lesser-known talents. It's called Made in, as in Made in China. We meet at the opening of his new exhibition of an artist collective in a more rural suburb of Shanghai, about two hours away from the city center. Lots of artists are meeting here. <laughs> If the government suddenly calls me tomorrow and says close it down, then I'll have no choice but to shut it down. 
Another person here is a professor of art criticism who travelled from Shanghai's Tongji University. This is what Lu Jinghua had to say. If we do performance art, for example, in the city, then it's possible it won't survive censorship. But out here, it can be performed in an isolated place. This gives artists various options of communication. Despite severe censorship, we meet a number of artists here and in Shanghai that see ways to express themselves freely. Sometimes they debate whether political correctness in democratically governed countries isn't also a form of censorship. But there's one thing they tend to agree on: censorship is particularly severe, and it comes from the state. And it's unclear where the line is. Rules can change from one moment to the next. Zhu Zhen tries to see it in a positive light. Modern art needs to constantly push the boundaries. It needs to constantly challenge things. If you say he is the line, then there will be countless artists that challenge it. Plus, there isn't a clear line, so people will continue to try. Some succeed, others don't. The art professor Lu Xinhua talks about a current debate in the art scene on whether contemporary art can be considered contemporary at all if it can't break through these boundaries. We feel this is an existential question for contemporary art, meaning if you don't let me do it, then I'm not a contemporary artist either. China is a socialist country and remains that way. But if modern art is created in such a socialist environment, then it won't be capable of learning from other art scenes in places like Berlin or London. In the window of what could be mistaken for a small shop hidden from view, passers-by can see a motorcycle on display. And behind that, a few foldable chairs set up on the metal floor. There's a small bar, a few drinks. There are photographs on the wall too, portraits of people with captions under them that together tell a story of LGBTQ people in China. But the letters LGBTQ are nowhere to be seen here. That would be too obvious. Officially, as far as the Chinese authorities are concerned, these stories are about women, feminism. That's okay. But LGBTQ wouldn't be. The things we've put on display here are things we selected beforehand and censored ourselves. Eighty percent of them are actually about women. That's how we were able to make this exhibit possible at all. In this room that's relatively hidden away, we feel like if the authorities don't discover us today, one day eventually they might. It's exactly for this reason that this young woman wants to remain anonymous, as a way to keep this place safe. In May, she started this place along with some other women around the same time that Beijing's prominent LGBTQ center, Baitong, was making headlines after closing down. The center was an advocate for LGBTQ rights and offered advice and support. It really is a shame. There's no way of stopping something like that from happening. We still want to do as much as possible now, and we hope we can create a utopia, not just here in China, but all over the world. She's talking about a utopia where love between people, regardless of their gender identity, is simply normal. She looks at the pictures on the wall. One shows two Chinese women kissing in the middle of the street. In the background, passers-by go about their business. A food delivery man drives past the couple on his scooter. It's her favorite picture. 
I can feel their kiss, even though it's happening amid the hustle and bustle of everyday life. I don't need to worry about everything that's going on around them. Everyone goes on with their lives as if nothing were happening. They pass by, deliver food. I wonder if this will ever become normal. It's quite commonplace after all. But it's not commonplace in China. Despite the fact that homosexuality was decriminalized in 1997, the topic remains taboo in many families. Some report losing friends after coming out. Discrimination happens at work too, which is why many keep their sexual orientation secret if they're not heterosexual. The Chinese state has been stepping up crackdowns on the LGBTQ community ever since Xi Jinping came to power a decade ago. At universities, for example, these groups have been shut down, online profiles have been censored, some events have been suspended and numerous LGBTQ dating apps have been banned. That was an announcement by Chinese state television in 2021. The communist state and party leadership stipulates what manliness is. And this ideal has erased feminine-looking male pop stars from public, from TV and the internet in China. The party decides which men are manly enough to appear on TV – and tattoos are either covered up or pixelated for TV. Back at the rock bar in Shanghai, the punk singer Maya wears her tattoos openly on the comparatively small stage here. Her entire left arm and her neckline are both tattooed in bright colours. Away from the glamorous, shiny, glittery world of TV and the large museum, there are other artistic spaces. All of the artists we spoke to, regardless of how political they were, have all experienced censorship. There's black, there's white, and there are many shades of grey too. That unclear in-between space. For punk in China, that means being a little less punk. If we lived in a place that was free, we would be even more out of control. But we're here in China. We live here and grew up here. There are a lot of kids and teens who are only 11 or 12 and like our music. What we want to give them is hope and faith in this world. Ina Camille's with that report from Ava Lambie-Schmidt. You're listening to World in Progress with me, Kathleen Schuster. Time for some music before we move on. Stay tuned. Thank you. 
You're listening to World in Progress with me, Kathleen Schuster. On this week's show, we're looking at how art can transcend hardship. In Zimbabwe's capital, Harare, for example, artists have been using their work to keep the public debate going on social issues made worse by the COVID-19 pandemic, especially issues that affect women and girls. Elliot Douglas has this report by Privilege Musvanhiri. Strewn with paint and boldly colored canvases, this studio in Zimbabwe's capital, Harare, is an artist's haven. Right now, the space is being used by graffiti artists who are working on concepts to help stimulate debate around social issues made worse by the pandemic. Their main focus is on problems affecting women and girls. Together, they gather around the main work table and sketch out their ideas and prepare them on the computer. Later, they'll set to work on the murals. Graffiti artist Naisha Yechi says it's a way of passing on vital knowledge, like their communities always have albeit with an artistic twist. For us, it's um, a reimagination of our future, a reimagination of our contemporary life, and also um, going back to uh, traditional knowledge systems. You know, um, there's been a lot of, during the COVID times, we realized that um, they, we, we, we took herbs, we took concussions that were used like, like 200 years ago, 300 years ago that have been passed down through the through generations. So that showed us um, the importance of traditional knowledge system. Some of Harari's poorest neighborhoods have become the canvas for the graffiti artists' murals. Their bold, colorful designs stand out against the dusty brown streets. Much of the imagery incorporates the faces of influential women alongside inspirational text like I am confident and girl power. The hope is to inspire young women and girls who have been negatively affected by the pandemic. In Zimbabwe, the number of teen pregnancies rose sharply during the lockdowns. Over 4,000 girls did not return to school when they reopened in early 2021. The head of programs for Plan International, Antoinette Ngoma, says the arts are an effective way to communicate and to spark change. Based on the learnings and experiences we've had uh, from COVID-19, there needs to be a concerted investment in developing messages that are relevant messages that are informed by experience and evidence, messages that harness the power of the arts, both the visual and performing arts, to propel messages around girls' rights, uh, to propel messages that ensure the protection of girls, to also uh, put forward messages uh, regarding sexual and reproductive health rights and information. The pandemic has also shaped Zimbabwe's urban street culture. The fashion collective Fabrique Party has organized its own fashion shows. Young people crowd around the runway to catch a glimpse of the newest trends, from painted denim to giant teddy bear brooches. It's a space for them to unwind and reconnect with the issues around identity that took a back seat during the pandemic, explains curator Uleni Kandlovo. During the COVID, we sat down, everybody had enough time to look into the internet and see what's going on, so we cool place ourselves in this space it was just random but now after that we're like how do we identify or how do we create an identity for Zimbabwean street culture. Fabrique Party has since developed into an art movement that brings together graffiti artists and fashion designers to explore new possibilities for collaboration says Kandlovo. When people spend two years locked down we miss that element of a community an element whereby it can collaborate and work as a collective. People used to do that during the COVID, we did it online. But soon after COVID, people realized the importance of collaborations and collective work. 
At the height of the pandemic, the artists raised awareness of COVID-19 by painting murals, encouraging people to follow health regulations, like wearing masks and social distancing. They drew on the star power of influencers, who they painted wearing masks. Now, the artists plan to keep working with the concept to spark more conversations about what humanity can learn from the pandemic. Elliot Douglas with that report by Privilege Musvanhiri. You're listening to World in Progress with me, Kathleen Schuster. Time for a quick message from DW. I'm Andreas Becker. I'm Nicholas Martin. This is the story of the biggest cannabis scam ever. This is the story of Juicy Fields. I've lost 20K. I had 350,000 euros in the account. And the scam might just continue. We have owners that sometimes like to be flashy, hence why they like cannabis and crypto. Money, money, green, you know, like everybody likes money. In this investigative podcast series, we entered a world that we never expected to find. It bears all the trademarks, the Russian mafia. It's a fantasy. People want that the Russian is the very best. Stop fantasy. This is Cannabis Cowboys. A story about big dreams, juicy money, and never-ending hype. Find Cannabis Cowboys wherever you get your podcasts. And that's all we have for you on this week's show. To listen back to this and previous episodes of World in Progress, you can go to our website at dw.com. You can also find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, if you have any feedback or questions, just drop us a line at worldinprogress at dw.com. This week's show was produced by me, Kathleen Schuster. Our sound engineer was Jürgen Kuhn. Be sure to tune in again next week. World in Progress is produced by DW in Bonn, Germany.